Father, today we pray that the person and the work of Jesus would be at the forefront of our thinking. It is Good Friday. That we would come to know what Jesus has done. And if we do know, that we would come to a greater assurance and a certainty and an application of that truth to our lives. Help us never to forget the importance of this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, I want to talk to you about the death of Jesus on the cross and what that accomplished. And it is interesting as you read the four Gospels which tell us the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You will notice as you read them, only two speak of his birth, but all four speak of his last week leading up to his death. And fully one-third of the content of the four Gospels is focused on that final week of Jesus' life, those days and those moments leading up to his death by crucifixion. John's Gospel in particular devotes a great deal of time to looking at the crucifixion of Jesus. Roughly half of the book of John is focused on that last week of his life. And leaning into that week, John chapter 12, Jesus himself speaks of the cross and his death, saying, It was for this reason that I came to this hour. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians, as far as we know. We find out historically roughly 500 years before the birth of Christ, and it continued until it was perfected by the Romans in the days of Jesus. And it continued until it was outlawed by the Roman Emperor Constantine in roughly the 4th century AD. So crucifixion did exist for almost a thousand years. Crucifixion was the most horrendous and despicable and disgusting and distasteful way to die. So much so that the Romans tended not to crucify their own citizens, they instead beheaded them. And they instead reserved crucifixion for the most heinous and horrendous of crimes and criminals. The Romans considered it the most disgusting way to die. So did the Jews. And the ancient Jewish historian Josephus calls it the most wretched of deaths. The Greek philosopher Cicero was quoted as saying that crucifixion is such an altogether horrific thing that decent Roman citizens shouldn't think about it. And they shouldn't hear about it because it isn't fit for good, decent, noble people. Additionally, the Jews also felt that it was the most horrendous way to die because Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22 and 23 say, Anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed of God. And so no Jew wants to be crucified because that meant, according to Deuteronomy, they were cursed of God. Now, crucifixion continued into more recent times, yes, when under the leadership of Adolf Hitler, the Nazis crucified Jews in Dachau with bayonets and with knives. They ran them through people, particularly men's shoulders and their throats and other parts of their bodies, and they impaled them, literally nailing them to the sides of barn and such. There were also reports of crucifixions in Cambodia, and recently Sudan and Saudi Arabia. Before the Romans crucified Jesus, they scourged him. Regarding this, some 607 years prior, the prophet Isaiah, foreseeing the coming of Jesus and his death by crucifixion, explains it this way in Isaiah 52, 14. There were many that were appalled at him, or 
Had we seen the scourged, crucified Jesus, we would have been appalled at him. In other words, if you were there and saw Jesus crucified, some of you would have thrown up. Some of you would have passed out. Some of you would have looked and looked away because it was too terrific, too horrific to gaze upon him. It was appalling. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. The Bible says, had we seen him, we wouldn't have even recognized him. Had you even known Jesus prior, you would have seen him in that state. He was virtually unrecognizable. He was completely disfigured. And furthermore, we then know that Jesus bled a tremendous amount. There was blood from the crown of thorns. There was blood from the beating. There was blood from the scourging. There was more blood from the nails. Let me say this. There are two reasons the Bible talks about blood so much. One, blood is indicative of life and spilt blood, death. And secondly, you and I tend to be horrified at the sight of blood and it tends to disgust us. And God connects blood and sin so closely because he's illustrating for us that as sickened as we are by blood is equally how sickened he is by sin. And so by connecting sin and blood, God is wanting us to feel the horror of our sin, the weight of our sin in the same way he does. The Bible says they mocked him. They falsely worshipped him. They made a big spectacle of him. They thought it was a big joke. And Jesus, who was a carpenter, that he himself had driven many nails, was laid on a wooden cross and spikes, five to seven inches in length, were driven, the Bible says, through his wrists or his hands and his feet, and that Jesus was literally nailed to the cross. Isaiah says, as a lamb is going in for a shearing, is silent and calm. So Jesus was that way. Jesus did not declare war. He didn't curse everyone out. He didn't spit on his enemies. Instead, he said things like, Father, forgive them. Jesus was a loving, compassionate, gracious man to the very end. And even his, in his suffering, it did not diminish his character. And perhaps what is most astonishing about this crucifixion was that it was done in public, not in obscurity. This was done publicly in very open, public, highly trafficked areas. Speaking of this in Isaiah 53, again prophesied before the coming of Jesus, how you and I would have responded had we seen Jesus after his scourging and during his crucifixion. It says, he was despised and rejected by men. We would have seen people screaming at him, yelling at him, rejecting him, hating him, turning their back on him, despising him, a man of sorrows. We would have seen Jesus in agony and in grief. And furthermore, it says familiar with suffering, a man of sorrows. You would have seen Jesus physically suffering, deeply traumatized in the process of dying, like one who med men hid their face, their faces. Like one from whom med 
Men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. Had we been there, we would have looked at Jesus and said, he must be a horrible man for God to do that to him. He must be the worst of men for God to allow that. Thank God I'm not evil like that man, Jesus. Isaiah says that that would have been the conclusion we came to. Cursed is any man hung on a tree. He must be cursed. He therefore must be the most despicable of men. I also find it curious at the crucifixion of Jesus, and again, Isaiah prophesied many years before Jesus' birth that he would die with criminals, that he would be crucified with the guilty. And as Isaiah promised, Jesus was crucified with two guilty thieves, with two guilty sinners, one on his left, one on his right. And what's interesting, unlike Jesus, we don't know the names of these men. Unlike Jesus, there is no religion for these men. Unlike Jesus, there is no holiday like Christmas or Easter for these men. There are not books written about these men. There are not songs sung to these men. There are not millions and millions of people gathered around the earth today to worship these men. Tens of, tens of thousands of people were crucified like Jesus the reason why Jesus is remembered and celebrated is that Jesus was different than those two guilty men. He was a man who was guiltless. And Jesus is not a mere man because he rose from the dead. He is God who became man. He's the God-man. The next time you hear of someone being put to death by lethal injection or electric chair, I'm assuring you there will not be a number of people that want to be just like them. But that is what happened with Jesus. So much so that the leader of his disciples, Peter, who was there at the crucifixion of Jesus and saw it firsthand and went on to write two books of the Bible, First and Second Peter, and preach about Jesus, he was eventually arrested and he was told. He was told. He was arrested in Rome and he was told, Peter, you keep saying that Jesus is God and that he did something on the cross for sinners like you. We want you to recant all of that. And if you don't, you saw how we crucified Jesus, we'll crucify you just like that. So recant. And Peter said, in essence, I cannot recant because Jesus is God and his death did do something for me. And I will not lie and say that Jesus is not God and say that Jesus didn't accomplish anything on the cross. And they said, well, fine, Peter, we will crucify you. And Peter basically said, don't, cru don't crucify me like Jesus. I'm not worthy enough for such a fate. So they crucified Peter upside down. Christians have followed in the legacy of Peter's honoring of Jesus. And what I find to be altogether curious is that beginning in so far as we can tell with the early church father Tertullian, Christians had to decide for themselves what will they use as a symbol of their faith. We need, we need a logo. We need branding, right? And they could have taken the rainbow before the homosexuals did. That's ours way back in Genesis before the days of Noah. They chose not to do the rainbow. And they could have taken the symbol of the dove 
before the peace activists and the nonviolent types took that, because that how that is how Holy Spirit descended on Jesus at his baptism. They chose not to pick something as nice, as inoffensive as a rainbow or a dove. No, the Christians chose the ugly cross, and they began making the sign of the cross. They began wearing crosses around their neck, and they began adorning their homes with crosses as artwork. And their children began drawing pictures of the cross. And they began singing songs about the cross. And they began delighting and celebrating in the cross. And so regarding the cross, there has been a great deal of controversy. Many different opinions about Jesus' death on the cross. Was it worthwhile? Did it accomplish anything? Is it something that we should adore? Is it something that we should despise? And so let me explain for you what Christians believe. All Christians believe that the death of Jesus on the cross is in fact very good news. The first is that Jesus Christ is alone, without sin, sinless, perfect. So Jesus is without sin. Okay, how about you and I? Are we without sin? No. If you said yes, that was a sin, and now you're on our team with all the other sinners. We're all sinners, and the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We're turned our back on God to be our own God and do whatever we want to do. And we're rebels and lawbreakers, and we do whatever we want, and that's the problem. That we think that we know better than God. We've all sinned. We sin in our thoughts, our words, our deeds, our motives. It's not just what we do. Words count, deeds count, motives count. And so do thoughts and the longing of our hearts. And God sees all that. We sin through omission. We don't do what we're supposed to do. We sin through commission. We do what we're not supposed to. We're sinners. So Jesus is different than we are because he is sinless and we are sinful. And the next thing you need to know is the result of sin is death. God said this in Genesis 2 before sin entered the world. He told the first parents, Adam and Eve, do not sin because if you do, you will die. And the death is spiritual separation from God. It's also physically that we actually do die. And we all die because we're all sinners. And the Bible says this as well in the book of Romans where Paul writes, the wages for sin is death. Okay, that being said, Jesus never sinned. How could Jesus die if you only die because of sin? It's a great question. And this is where we hear the good news. The good news is that Jesus died for, and that's the key word, for our sin. Theologically, if you like big words, we call this penal, substitutionary atonement. Penal meaning the penalty for sin is death. Substitution meaning Jesus stood in our place and died for our sins. Atonement meaning at one meant. That we can be one with God. That sin separates us from God and that Jesus can take away sin that separates us from God so we can be one with God again in a loving, connected living relationship. See, God is the living God. God made us to live in relationship with him. When we sin, we rebel against God. We disconnect ourselves from God. It's not unlike an appliance 
or a piece of technology that unplugs itself from its power source. It still exists, maybe for a little while, but eventually it's going to die. The Bible says that we can be physically alive and spiritually dead. Sin leads to death. If it wasn't for sin, we wouldn't have funerals. We wouldn't have mortuaries or cemeteries. We wouldn't even have hospitals. We wouldn't have palliative care units. We wouldn't have obituaries. We wouldn't have sickness and disease and war and famine and plague and death. God made everything alive and good. And we have sinned and brought death into everything and everything is very bad. And that's why sin even creeps into practical matters. Yes, sin even creeps into our homes and into our marriages. And they can die because of sin. Friendships can die because of sin. Families and communities and love and hope and joy and unity and peace can die because of sin. It is a big problem. And the reason that Christians know that Jesus' death is good news is because Jesus died for us. Jesus suffered and died in my place for my sin. And the key word there is for. It's a little word, but it's so important. We get the historical fact of Jesus' death, but without that transitional word for, that explains what that means for us. Jesus' death in and of itself is not good news. There is no good news in that Jesus was wrongly accused. Nothing good about that. That he was beaten and he was run through with a series of false trials and he was scourged and mocked and that he was stripped naked and he was crucified and died. That is not in and of itself good news. But the little word for that the Bible uses makes it good news for you and me because it doesn't just tell us what happened to Jesus. It tells us why. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So I'm just going to leave you with a few beautiful Bible passages for you never to forget. Isaiah 53 verse 5. He, meaning Jesus, was pierced for. There's our word. He was pierced, a historical fact, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 1 Corinthians 15 Paul summarizes the gospel, good news, and what he says, what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. Meaning, I mean, there's a lot of things that you can know, and perhaps there's a lot of things you should know, but there's one thing that is one thing that is most important than anything that you absolutely have to know, and this is it. What I received, I passed on to you of first importance. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Jesus lived the life I could never live. Jesus died the death I should have died. And Jesus went to the cross for me, for my sins. That's why it's good news. He did that for me. He did that for you. He did that for us. Romans 4, he was delivered over to death for our sins that word again. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter chapter 3. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. And then three days later, Jesus rose because death could not hold Jesus because death, because Jesus was without sin. And so he is alive today. He needs everyone to remember his crucifixion. 
And that's what we're doing today. We only have three options now to live. Our identity is marked by the sins we have committed. That's one option. Is that how you want to live? Are you a liar? Are you a thief? Are you a betrayer? Are you unfaithful? Or our life can be marked, our identity can be marked by the sins that have been committed against us. Are you a victim? Have you been raped? Have you been bullied? Have you been beaten? Have you been abused? And that's how you are known as the victim. Or third option, our life and our identity can be marked by the work of Jesus that takes away sin. The result being we can be new creations, creations in Christ. That all things pass away and all things become new. Yes, Jesus takes away not only the sin that we have committed, but the sin that's been committed against us. And he's forgiven it all. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That if we believe in him, whoever believes in him should not perish, should not go to hell, should not suffer the fate he did, but instead receive the gift of eternal life. If you wonder, does God love me? Please, please, please look at the cross. He loves you. He loves you with an unquenchable love. He has pursued you with reckless abandon, not because we are good people, but because he is a good God. Because Jesus Christ wants more for us than sin and death. He certainly does. He wants salvation and love and life. And I know that some of you are thinking, you know, I'm a Christian. I've, I've heard this before. I thought you would tell me something new today. Do you re really believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Not just theologically fill in the blank, get an A in Sunday school. Let me ask you a few important questions. If you still have shame, you don't really believe in the cross. If you're still trying to present yourself as a good person instead of being honest and walking in the light and saying, here's my humanity, here's my frailty, here's my temptations and my struggles, and I'm not the hero Jesus is, and I don't save myself, Jesus saves me, I'm not the good guy here. If you're still worried about your image and how you appear and being moral and religious and upright and pious and good, you do not yet fully truly believe in the cross. If you are a person who is trying to do good works and trying to do what God wants so that God will love you, you do not get the cross. You do not get the cross. God loves you not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus has done for you. When Jesus said it is finished, what he meant was there is nothing left for us to do to be saved. Just trust in him. If you live with guilt, shame, condemnation, if you have secrets you've never told anyone, if you have sins you have never confessed to God, if you have shame that binds your identity, you do not yet fully believe in the cross. And if when you sin, you hide, you blame, you deflect, you excuse, you change the subject, you flare up in anger, you try and defend your appearance instead of just coming clean with God and others, you do not really believe in the cross. Now let me state this as simply as I can. Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus Christ lived the life you cannot live. 
Jesus Christ died the death you should have died. Jesus Christ rose. He is alive and he is well today. He was our substitute. He is our scapegoat. He is our God-man, mediating high priest. If you pray to him today, he's alive and well and he will hear your prayer. There is not one person that could or would come to Jesus, no matter what, what they have done or failed to do, that Jesus would turn away. Not one, because there is hope for us all. So stop trying to be a good person so God will love you. Except in that, except in that in Jesus, God has loved you. Accept that. And that enables you to become a different person. Not so that God would love you, but because he already has. And like Romans says, it is the kindness of God which leads to our repentance. And that is what changes us. Amen.